Welcome to Hooplecast. I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of, I don't know, immortal hotel employees. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I like the sounds of that. (laughs) Good, because my other option was we're a bunch of sex bots, and I don't think anybody wants to be No. No, no, no. No, no. Please, no. (laughs) Well, we are here to talk about some garbage TV. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be talking about Hotel Room and Perversions of Science, which I'm going to guess that most of our audience has never heard of or has has never seen. But now they've watched it and they think it's the best thing ever, right? (laughs) I I doubt that. Whoops. Oh. Sorry about that. The old computer. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. Um, You know, I... uh, 1998. I think I might be an immortal hotel room clerk. (laughs) (laughs) I have lots of antiques around here. Believe me. So before we get into uh, the meat of our podcast here, uh, I'll do some network news. Beep, 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 (laughs) beep, (laughs) beep. There are some projects in the pipeline at the network. The first is a program called Sharp Objects, and I will read this little blurb from Deadline.com. Sharp Objects has landed at HBO with an eight-episode straight-to-series first-season order. Based on the book by Gone Girl author Gillian Flynn, Sharp Objects centers on reporter Camille Preaker, played by Amy Adams, who, fresh from a brief stay at a psychiatric hospital, must return to her tiny hometown to cover the murder's of two preteen girls. Trying to put together a psychological puzzle from her past, Camille finds herself identifying with the young victims a bit too closely. The book spent more than 60 weeks in the New York Times bestseller list. Marty Noxon wrote the pilot script based on the book and will serve as showrunner and writer. Flynn is set to write multiple episodes. Jean-Marc Vallée will direct all episodes just as he did with HBO's upcoming limited series Big Little Lies starring Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon. So that's exciting to me for two reasons. One, I love Amy Adams. And two, I'm familiar with Marty Noxon from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Mm. as we all are. This is going to be a secret Vampire Slayer reboot. (laughs) I'm all for that. (laughs) Then the second program I will quickly preview is something called Room 104. No. (laughs) It's too close. (laughs) Too close. (laughs) <laughs> it's very close to hotel. I don't know why they didn't call it room 603 as a little nod to <laughs> as a nod to the hotel room word that we're about to talk about, but it's called room 104. It's an anthology comedy series, so oh. totally different, from brothers Jay and Mark Duplass, set in a single room of an average American hotel. Room 104 <laughs> tells a different story of the assorted characters who pass through it in each episode. It will begin production in Los Angeles later this year for a 2017 debut. They tried this I'm just, already. Sorry, I'm just picturing hotel room, but sped up. <laughs> yeah. And with Yakety Sax on it. Yes! it's it's a smart it's a smart idea and that it's cheap to make Mm -hmm. but it's tough you know if you're gonna have just stuff that happens in that hotel room i i don't know how they can how they can extend that premise when you think about it a lot of sitcoms are just like in an apartment or this is true yeah like yep yeah, but this you isn't do- like a hotel suite. This is, well, I'll read what Jay and Mark Duplass say. They say, we've all seen stories set in seedy motels and high-class international resorts, but for years we've been fascinated by the funny, weird, sad, scary, absurd things going down in that corporate chain hotel near the airport. 
That's what Room 104 is after, finding some magic and seemingly mundane. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I hope he has better luck finding that magic, because... <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. They've done it... Lord knows they've done it on stage with plays, but that's not a different story every week, which is a lot more difficult. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to watch In Treatment eventually, and that is basically two to three people in the psychologist room or the psychiatrist room talking, just talking. And they did it five nights a week for three seasons. And it was pretty good. It was pretty good actually. Uh, because they were like real people having real conversations and you got to know the characters. And so you kind of like were interested every week checking in on them and seeing where they were in their therapy. So I feel like you could do that in a small room because it's a continuation. You just get really invested but an anthology series where it's different every week, I'm not sure that has sustainable. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It it takes it's going to take a lot of real talent to to keep that fresh all the time and come up with stuff. I mean, when we, I think when we get into um, these episodes, uh, we can talk more about uh, the problems we saw. <laughs> <with> this, <laughs> yes. That hopefully they will not repeat. Well, let's do it. Let's get into our first program, 1993's Hotel Room. For a millennium, the space for the hotel room existed, undefined. Mankind captured it, gave it shape, and passed through. sometimes in passing through they found themselves brushing up against the secret names of truth I, I said to Matt on the Facebook group that I volunteered to do the 60-second plot summary for this one because I just felt so bad that you had to watch this again and <laughs> Carol for the first time. So, uh, Matt, why don't you give me uh, 60 seconds on the clock, and, and you give me the go-ahead, and I will do my best to recap these three dreadful installments of this dreadful television series. Mel, do you have a stopwatch <laughs> on this thing? No. Timer. Ah, there you go. Okay. Uh, oh, it's it's uh, by default. It's one minute. Okay. <laughs> so three, two, one, go. All right. David Lynch's hotel room takes place in I think it's called the Railway Hotel or the Railroad Hotel in New York in three different time periods. In the first time period, uh, Harry Dean Stanton brings a prostitute to the room, and he and this old guy, which might actually be a split personality, like, I don't know, have a conversation that's seemingly endless and meaningless. And maybe the prostitute killed his son, maybe he killed his wife, I really don't know. It's pretty terrible. In the second episode, (laughs) uh, um, Deborah Unger, who I know from the game, 
is trying to break up with this guy named Robert, and then Mariska Hargitay is there, and, and this other girl, uh, Scott Bakula's wife, uh, they have a conversation, <laughs> it's seemingly endless. It ends with her um, braining the guy in the back of the head with a fireplace poker, and then they make out on the floor while he's uh, concussed. And then in the <laughs> third episode, uh, it's a blackout, and Alicia <laughs> Witt and Crispin Glover uh, have a conversation that uh, is seemingly endless and meaningless. Uh, maybe her son died, drowned, um... They don't eat their Chinese food. The end. <laughs> we're, like, we're about like 15 seconds over. 15 over? Did you hear that beep? No. Oh, it went like... Beep, 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 beep. Hey. <laughs> one, one to one minute hit, and that was about like at the end of like episode two, so... Well, it was, it was pretty tough, I gotta say. Didn't you have had like three minutes, one minute for each one? Nah. Let's not... Yeah. Let's no. not drag it out. <laughs> It's already dragged out enough. <laughs> exactly. So what did you guys think of that pretentious voiceover from David Lynch? <laughs> I I expected a very different kind of show. It seemed much more like a Twilight Zone uh I mean with especially in the first with the first episode when they were um you know, showing all the stuff from the thirties and talking about a hundred years of preparation, all this stuff. Like I thought there was going to be something either supernatural involved or or something. I did too. I mean, there's supernatural in the sense that the bellboy and the maid are the same age for all three installments. This mm. first one called Tricks takes place in September 1969. Yeah. Um, it, it seemed like when they went back to the 30s, he had a different accent. Yeah, he had like an Irish accent or some, something Some trying to be weird Irish. accent. Part of the same family. It's just like generations of bellboys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if he's been here since 1939, by 1969 or 67 or whatever it is, then uh, 69, he uh, he might have lost his accent. Oh my God, he's a Highlander or something. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> it. <laughs> Highlander. If there, if there had been a fourth one, maybe it would have jumped back before. Uh, 1936, and he would have been, like, full Irish, and this was, like, the third episode is, like, in between full Irish and American, because it was, like, Maybe. trying to be Irish. It could just be that the actor can't do an accent. Maybe he went to the David Boreanaz school of Irish accents. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, who was, like, I went back to get the names of the three actors, because um, I knew Harry Dane Stanton, and I knew the woman's face. I knew I'd seen her in a lot of things. I didn't know her name. Her name's Glenn, Glenn Headley. I just, yeah. I haven't seen her in too much, but I just saw her as the annoying lawyer on the night of, which is another HBO show. Okay. Well, I've seen her in a lot of stuff over the years, but her name did not sound familiar to me when I looked it up. But then I'm looking at it and it's like, okay, they've got three actors listed, but there were four actors. I don't think they ever listed the bellboy. They didn't list um, the bellboy, and they didn't list the maid. Yeah. I didn't know whether they listed the bellboy later on in the other one or not. No. Well, not in the third one, at least. It's to add mystery. The bellboy's name is Clark Heath- Heathcliff Brawley. You just ruined the mystery. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> because you heard of him so much. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff, no wonder I didn't even recognize him. <laughs> so, has he done other stuff? Barely. He was yeah. in an episode of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Oh, 
That's the way it's familiar. <laughs> oh, that's where you know him from. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He was in uh, the episode Brooklyn Dodgers, the one about the orphans. Uh, oh, was he the oldest orphan? No, he wasn't. Yeah, I don't think so, but he was he was in that one. I feel like Hotel Room might have ruined his career. <laughs> We're gonna when we get to um, perversions of science, it ruined a lot of their careers. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> uh, I was really surprised at the at the actors in version of science. But anyway, go on. Yeah. So let me just reread this voiceover. For a millennium, the space for a hotel room existed undefined. Mankind captured it, gave it shape, and passed through. And sometimes, in passing through. They found themselves brushing up against the secret names of truth. <laughs> okay, this is totally like an artist statement for like his piece of art because that's what David Lynch is. He's an artist. Yeah, you this, know. So this is why I, I don't like David Lynch. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So but, there's uh, just, that, yeah. That's what he's tra- he's just trying to give meaning to something that doesn't really have meaning. So for a millennia, there is this strange bit of space about six stories up, just in floating in the air, until we built a hotel hotel room around it. <laughs> and, and now we can go into that room, and uh, weird shit will happen, except maybe not super weird, but could be weirder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of it wasn't even... I mean, it was barely weird. It was, you know, people going through problems. <laughs> if it would have been the whole hotel, I feel like it would have been more believable. But it's just that one hotel hotel room. It seems weird that the bellboy and the maid would be stuck in that little tiny space. Mm. That's what it is. And yeah, here they had this weird thing with the bellhop. But the other thing about these episodes, at least the two you know that I watched, um, first one and the third one, was um, the time period that they were in didn't seem to really matter to the story, like at all. No. They could have been switched around. It could have been any time, anywhere. Um, you know, okay, they didn't know a lot about PST, PTSD in the 1930s, but they didn't know a lot about it in the 40s or the 50s either. You know, it there was really nothing that connected this one to the 60s per se, except that she was in a really short miniskirt. Probably just David Lynch pining for the 60s. Yeah, I don't know. So Harry um, Dean Stanton brings the prostitute to his room. She's a bit on the older side, I would say. She has the worst hair. She well, yeah, had a yeah. fall or a wig or something on. Mm-hmm. I think it was a fall. Just really weird bangs. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, in the late 60s, you know, you might have had, like, that weird hair. Mm-hmm. Were those twin beds or... Was just yeah. the, were they? I thought maybe yeah. they were queens, but no. yeah, that's that's strange, isn't it? That the only hotel room you can get that's available has twin beds. Well, he said um, that he had asked for double, but they gave him twin beds. Oh, I didn't miss that the line. Together, get creative, man. That's yeah. what I thought they would do, but <laughs> well, I don't think he ever quite got that far. No. Well, did he? <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, yeah. is, was he that other guy? Were they, like, Although, the person? you know, they showed the other guy putting the wallet into the pants pocket, into the jacket pocket. Yes, they did. I don't think that matters. I know. Well, I mean, does it or doesn't it? I, I don't think he saw him do it. So if he but, didn't see him do it... But if you're dissociated from yourself, 
you know what I mean? Like you're dissociated from that. You might forget from your personality. Who you, are. you would forget who you were, and you would forget that you were the one that put that wallet. So that's why it's confusing because you don't know if he's the actual one that did it. Plus, you can't rely on the prostitute either because she was high. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh, it's just also okay. clever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, yeah, and there was the. Yeah, I mean... Hmm. Plus, when they when the cops uh, go into his jacket and they find the wallet, they're like, are you Lou? Well, you got Lou's driver's license. Well, the driver's license would have a photo on it, so... Not back then. Really? Not in 1969? Nope. Wow. Wow. Nope. Oh. At least not in not in New Jersey. We okay. didn't have driver's license, and I think New York was the same. Hmm. Uh, well, we didn't have driver's... Where were they from? They were from... I think the hotel was in New York. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't know whether they were from New York or not. So I guess the time period is justified then. If Because if I it was guess. present day, then that wouldn't work. That's true. Present day, I mean, they could... But, I mean, in general, they could probably... They can check him out as to his identity any number of ways, even back then. I mean, it's not like... Unless suddenly nobody, he doesn't know anybody in the world... Who can identify him? So Harry Dean Stanton plays this guy named Mo. He calls down to room service, asks for Jim Beam, uh, and there's a then. The, after, yeah, there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, which well, is Jim Beam Bourbon? Well, Jim Beam is Bourbon, but he uh, they must have said on the other on, on the end of the line, uh, well, we have whiskey of some sort, or and he's like, no, it's got to be Bourbon. Yeah. It was weird because I thought, like, this is, like, I don't know, like, he's trying to romance this prostitute, but he's being the least romantic guy ever, like, asking for bourbon Mm -hmm. with, like, two glass, I don't know. It just seemed so, you know, a little rough around the edges, I guess. Well, (laughs) Well, she she wasn't exactly playing up the customer service either. No, no. No, she was terrible. Yeah, but I was, like, it almost seemed like she was, like, kind of rolling her eyes at him. Yeah. Because it seemed like she was expecting champagne, you know. Or something I, fancier. That that was the that was the feeling that I got from it, anyways. I didn't get the feeling she was expecting anything. I got the feeling she was bored out of her mind. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And you know. And she had reefer madness. Yes. I <laughs> I ended up writing. You know, like the first few minutes. Um, if she's a hooker, she is not a happy one. Mm. The, How many of them are happy? She, <laughs> she felt like I felt watching this. Yeah. Bored and disinterested. When he ordered the bourbon, he wanted it in a couple of chimneys, as in chimney-sized glasses. Oh, boy. Never heard that one before. No. Let's try and work it into our daily lives now. (laughs) Room service? Yeah. Mr. Boca in room, uh, let's see, in 603. How about setting up a bottle of, uh, or a fifth? Jim Beam, bourbon. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be bourbon. There's a big difference. And a couple of chimneys. Chimney-sized glasses. That's very specific, by the way. Why would you want your bourbon, like, so specific? I don't know. Usually usually whiskeys um, served in short squat glasses, rocks glasses. Tumblers? Tumblers, yeah. He yeah, wanted he it in chimneys. Glasses, which, I mean, usually you do that for if you're going to put water in it or something. After he gets his bourbon, Lou shows up. Who, it's just gross. I just think this guy is... I didn't like him. <laughs> he skewed oh, me yeah. out. Oh, he was awful. He was very yeah. creepy. Yes, very. Well, was it just the actor was good at being creepy, or was it just like, I think that's actually a creepy guy in real life? <laughs> mm. 
think the actor was being creepy. He was, you know, he's an actor. <laughs> but if I, if I saw that guy in real life after seeing this, I think his performance would color my opinion of him. <laughs> <laughs> the first hint that I I felt like something was askew was when they did the shot of the mirror and you didn't see Lou in the mirror, and I wondered, well, is that because the angle of on the mirror just doesn't show him in the mirror? Or is he not actually there? I, I mean, the angle was such that he shouldn't have been in the shot, but it was weird the way they did it. I, I have a note about that, too. It was like, this is really weird mirror camera work. And when they swept around, that didn't work at all. And that was like they swept from the mirror and then they chopped it up and... I don't know. It just, it was very shaky. So usually when they want to tell the audience, this person's not, doesn't have a reflection. They're not really there. Like they make it very clear the way they, you know, angle the, the shot on the mirror. The fact that they didn't do it that way is possibly kind of clever because now you're like, well, that's evidence that this guy is a split personality. But, but, but but they didn't. It's not a hundred percent convincing. So it leaves you with doubt, which might be a good thing. Well, I mean, I think all the way through that was the that was the thing about the show. I mean, that's what I got out of it was that you know they were doing a thing where they would feed you little pieces at a time, and you were it was a puzzle, and you were supposed to figure it out. And I'm all for that stuff. I'm I I don't have a problem with that. Um, but it's tricky, and you got to do it well. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, that that mirror shot, they had it off to one side. I mean, I looked at it and I thought, are they trying to tell us that he's not there because he's not in the shot? But they've got it angled in such a way that he would be right off the side of the mirror. And then they did it again. And I think they did it a third time. I was like, Whoa. So taking in account the mirror trickery and the sort of the inconsistency of about is the wife, what do they call it, Felicia? Is that her name? Yeah, Felicia, I think. Something like Felicia. that. Felicia. Yeah. Um, Mo was like, that's my wife. And then Lou's like, no, that's my wife or something like that. It's, it's, they both claimed her as their, as his spouse, you know? My wife. So. There were too many names in that whole thing oh, for God. me to follow along. I, I'm terrible with names. Mm-hmm. Awful with names. <laughs> so when you start throwing this story together with, there was Arthur, and there was Mo, and there was Lou, and there was Felicia, and I think there was someone else involved too. And and it's a kind of convoluted story. I was like trying to figure out, okay, who is who, and not it's not like a book where you can go back and reread the thing and like pick it apart. I could have rewound it, but I didn't. Well, you had to and, know who was Lou and who was Mo because they referred to each other constantly. Yeah, 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 they did. And I got because and then the guy, Lou, said that he was in the car with Felicia and that was before Mo was born or something. So at first I'm thinking he's his father, but she didn't seem to think that. So I figured, OK, I heard that wrong then. I couldn't follow it at all. And and. Then there was a long conversation about an actress who played a Croatian lion tamer. Yeah. And and the names that, that they were using, just yeah. the most bizarre names. Yeah. What should we be talking about, Mo? Yesterday, I read in a magazine about the movie actress, Martine Mustique. Do you know who she is, Lou? Martine Mustique. 
She died a couple of weeks ago, a month before her 30th birthday. Yeah, sure. Tall, skinny, broad, with good tits. Did you know that she and Felicia had the same birthday, Lou? The 15th, did you know that? I don't... I don't know if I did or not, Ma. Martine Moustique was not her real name. It was Rima Dot Duguid, and she was born in North Carolina, Georgia, some state like that. Turned up in uh, Hollywood. That's where her name got changed. Sure, did the perfume ads for, what was it called? Parachute. Paroxysme, Lou. That's French. Paroxysme. Then she was found dead in the bathtub of her house in the Hollywood Hills. That's tragic, Mo. I saw Martine Moustique's last movie that came out after her death, The Brave and the Beautiful. She played a Croatian lion tamer named the Great Vukovara. She learns that her lover has been killed just before she must stage a command performance for the Queen of England. But she goes on as scheduled, right? At the end of her act, she tossed aside her whip and chair and ordered the lions to attack her. As the big cats tore the great Vukovara apart, superimposed on the screen was a picture of Martine Moustique at her most beautiful, the way she looked in that ad for paroxysme. Jesus. And you know what she said her biggest regret in life was? No, Mo. What? That she'd never gotten to be a high school cheerleader. Isn't that too much, Lou? And I was thinking at the time, okay, is this some kind of metaphor for what happened to Felicia? Or I was wondering whether they were serial killers right from the beginning, actually. Like, as soon as the guy came in, Lou came in, he was so creepy. And the other guy kept saying, don't do it, don't do it. I thought, you know, are they going to kill this woman? Is this like a, you know, ritualistic thing, which it kind of looked like that by the end when she fled mm-hmm. and he said it could have happened it could have happened so i i, I thought where, where they were going with it was that she killed her boyfriend but then it would be revealed that one of those two men uh that their son was arthur and the boyfriend that she basically killed the son so he brought his son's killer up to the hotel room to kill her or something that's where it seemed to, but then he's she's like no i didn't kill anybody he wasn't his name wasn't arthur and she runs out of the room so yeah that went nowhere right i mean i got i got that he was going to hurt her because lou slept with lou had sex with her instead of him just like lou had sex with mo's wife and it enraged him and he was going to kill her and but she ran off <laughs> so as I, you, I mean, honestly I don't her. think it's worth trying to figure out <laughs> it, yeah it just seemed like there was a lot of kind of absurdist stuff going on maybe that's why it was set in the 60s because absurdist theater was kind of big then i felt like all of these installments had long rambling nonsensical stories that were really poorly paced, lots of long pauses just to add to the tedium. And I really didn't like how they kept saying, Mo, Lou, Lou, Mo. Like, mm-hmm. that cadence that that 
the writer was trying to go for the like like he was going for some sort of pitter patter dialogue. It was just really irritating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I assume that they wanted you to keep in mind exactly who was Mo and who was Lou, just like you said before. And so that at the end, when they said, are you Lou, the audience is saying, no, he's Mo. And but he doesn't seem to be able to find any identification or indicate that he has any identification other than Lou. What do you guys think of the cheerleading routine? (laughs) I was a cheerleader in high school there in Link Haven. That couldn't have been very long ago, Darlene. Do you remember how to do them? The cheers? Lou, I'm begging you. Darlene, honey, do one for us. Do one of them high school cheers. For us. You really want me to? Absolutely. California oranges, Texas cactus. We'll play your team just for practice. Give me an R. Give me an O. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Give me a C. Give me a K. Let's kick their butts today. Give me an E. Give me a T. Make them see, make them see, make them see. Give me an S. We're the best. R-O-C-K-E-T-S. Rockets. 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 Yay, rockets. Shit, I'm pretty stoned. That was great, baby. Great. It was kind of funny. It was the most exciting thing that happened. I think so. And, you know, I I think that, uh, what's his face there? What's his name? He thought that it was exciting. Mo? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Um, I think I think all three short like no, Lou. All, oh Lou yeah I think all three of those would have uh, benefited from being just ten minutes long mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it needed mm-hmm. to be yeah yeah really they did drag it on for way too long did you guys ever um, there was a show long time ago called Love American Style Did you ever heard, hear that I've heard of it it was it was a light comedic anthology series. But it would have, like, more than one story in the half an hour <laughs> that it was on. So you had literally, like, these 10-minute stories and stuff like that. That's what I remember anyway. I don't know. Maybe I remember it wrong. But uh, you had recurring characters in it, too, where you had, you know, specific people. That's how I remember it. I don't know if it's... I may be remembering it wrong. But it, that seemed more like what this should have been. Just like you said, like, 10 minutes long, move on. Yep. Shorter, snappier. If you're going to tell a story, use simpler names, fewer pauses. Just pick up the pace. Make it a little more coherent. It was, coherent would be good. I just felt like the entire thing was a miss. Um, coherent just, is Lynch's mo. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, that's why but I don't really know, like his work. It, you know, yeah. Sometimes there's a like they feel like uh, well, they confuse incoherence with cleverness and and stuff and as i say i'm all for you know let's give out the information a little at a time and you have to put the pieces together and the audience has to be a little patient and you know at the end you kind of figure it out and all that but that it takes finesse to do that and it's when you miss you miss bad Mm -hmm. badly so 
Yeah, this was a miss for me. So, do we want to recap how it ended? The cops show up, they arrest yeah. him, I guess, for murdering his wife. His wife. And say that he is Lou. Yeah. So, it seems like Lou never existed. This this Oh, you know what guy. I just what oh. I just remembered? Oh, you pieced it together. Good. Go ahead. No, <laughs> Explain it to me. No. I did not piece it together. No. I remember something else that was weird about it. That when it started, that was there was that whole fantasy by the guy about the um uh she says uh, you think too much man yeah you think too much man is what I think it's like oh good grief you can't even use a slang um <laughs> I mean she's a good actress usually I don't know what that was about um but he has this weird fantasy about the white knight is about to take a journey into the dark forest. Mm-hmm. And you know, she says before the white knight takes out his big sword, he has to pay tribute to the fair maiden. Gross. It was like, yeah. okay, you, you think on your feet, all right. But there was that, and then all of a sudden there was this guy, Lou. And it was just like this total change of, of tone and attitude and everything. It was weird. And that kind of, and that whole n- night fantasy thing was like totally dropped and never mentioned again. <laughs> It's like, why was that in there? Well, when Lou showed up, I thought, oh, he ordered the prostitute for this guy because this guy is going to do something awful to her. He was he was the nicer guy that that got her into the hotel room because the prostitute, I think her name was like Darlene or something. It was Darlene. Darlene, Darlene would not have gone into the room with Lou, but she would have gone in the room with Mo. Once Mo gets Darlene into the room, he hands her off to his friend so that he can do whatever he wants to. You know, Lou could do whatever he wants to her. I I got the feeling That's what I thought was You see, I thought that I thought that they had the two of them had had some kind of previous relationship and Lou has a history of doing bad things to women and maybe getting Mo to help him. Like as I say, like serial killer or something. Yeah. And that Mo had not planned on that happening to this in this particular case. He wanted to play his little night games, and when he sh- when Lou showed up, it was like, "Oh my God, no! That you aren't supposed to be here. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing." And then he's just waiting for the inevitable, and Lou is going to kill her or something. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen, <laughs> and neither did anything else really. <laughs> so my last note is that before I knew that. The name of the hotel was like the Railway Hotel. I saw these pictures of trains and I was just like, oh, is that supposed to be suggestive? Like when one of these men plows the the hooker, are we going to like do a close up of the pictures in here like a train whistle? <sighs> yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the second one. Uh, did anyone else watch this one? No. No. So it's called Getting Rid of Robert. And <laughs> I saw it years ago. <laughs> yeah. For your Twin Peaks podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Deborah Unger, who is in one of my favorite movies, The Game, is in this hotel room with her two friends, played by Mariska Hargitay and Chelsea Field, who I've never heard of before, but turns out is married to Scott Bakula. And they're, they just have this – they have a series of meandering, nonsensical conversations, which just just like the previous one. And they're waiting for Robert to show up because – the one girl, her name is Sasha. She's going to break it off with this guy, apparently. Uh, it takes place in June 1992. I thought that 
it was going to have something to do with them being like modern day sirens or something because they because Mariska Hargitay's character starts reading about harpies and Chelsea talks about Odysseus. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, listen to this. The harpies are servants of the Furies, airborne pirates befouling men with their droppings. They represent the aspect of femaleness that clutches and kills in order to feed itself. That is disgusting. You know, early American brass has absolutely gone through the ceiling. Tina, I'm getting a little nervous about this nesting instinct of yours. I mean, buying things for your apartment. <laughs> you know, it reeks of spinsterism. You should be investing in clothes while you're single. Buy the housewares after you get the wedding ring. I don't want a goddamn wedding ring. I like being single. I like working. I don't understand this matrimonial obsession of yours. How many happily married couples do you know? Personally, I think you've got the perfect relationship. Perfect? He's terrified of commitment. They all are. He lives 3,000 miles away. My dream. I see him once a week at best. Too often. And I don't know what he's doing in the meantime. Hey, my dream mate is Odysseus. <laughs> Off to the wars, honey. Be back in 20 years. Distance is an aphrodisiac. Oh, well, I'm sure that it works for him. Poking every little started in Los Angeles in between visits to New York. So I was like, oh, is this like a, the, the sirens from the Odyssey? You know, the, you know, the women who lure the sailors to the rocks? Are, is that like what we're going to see? Some sort of play on that myth? But in a hotel room in June 1992? Nope, that's not what we got. It was did not get that clever. <laughs> and at the end, uh, Robert shows up and calls Sasha a bitch. <laughs> I don't believe this. You are such a bastard. What is it? Is it Kimba? Kimba the Bimba? Hello, Robert, this is Kimba. I was so worn out I could barely make it through my audition, you naughty boy. I'm leaving. What about the trip to St. Bart's? Oh, keep the tickets. Take any one you want. After all this time, I think I deserve an explanation. This is pointless. What is it? Is it my tits? Are my tits too small? What is it? Well, I'll tell you one thing. They're real. 100% me, 100% organic, which is a hell of a lot more than you can say for most of your 19-year-old starlets. They're very nice. What is it? Is it sex? What is it? Tell me you don't like the way I fuck. If you... If That's you want me it. to do something differently, I'll do it. That's not it. I'll do it. What is it? I'll change it. What is it? Am I too old? That's not it. That's it, isn't it? That's it. You just want to be Peter Pan. Sticking your little wand into the pubescent fountain of eternal youth. Okay. You want to know why? You really want to know why? I'll tell you. You're not a nice person. You're a bitch. You got it? You want me to spell it out for you? You're not nice. You're a bitch. B as in as in bad. I as in egomaniac. T as in terrorist. And C as in He's like, you are a bitch. B as in bad. I as an egomaniac. That's not how you spell ego. T as in terrorist. C as in... Uh, and then uh, she uh, hits him in the back of the head with a fireplace poker. He's bleeding out on the carpet. The maid comes in. And finally, there's a funny line where the where um, Sasha says to the maid, Do you know what he called me? And the maid goes, Cunt? No, but he was gonna. Oh my god. What have you done? You know what he called me? A cunt? Well, no. 
But he was going to. And then they make out while he's bleeding from the head. I don't know. It was it was <laughs> bizarre. Was, she and the was, guy who was bleeding or she and the maid made out? No, she made out with the guy who was bleeding. Oh. Really no idea what the point of any of it was. Oh, and the, the music in this one was just constant. It was like a constant like jazz drumming. Like a, I guess it was jazz. I don't know. It, it was so overbearing and relentless. And yet it was the more modern sort of sprightly of the three. Huh. I would not say it was the best of the three. What was the best of the three? There isn't one. It was a, that's a trick <laughs> question. <laughs> also, I didn't, don't know how I was going to pull dialogue from this uh, program and splice it into the podcast because it's really just people blathering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of talk. A lot of, lot of talk, but nothing where I can just like pull that audio clip and put it in and then someone who's listening who has not seen the episode would be like, oh, now I get the context of what you guys are talking about on the podcast because it's uh-huh. all vague and confusing but since i was the only one who watched that one i guess we could move on to blackout which takes place (laughs) in april 1936 was there a new york city blackout in april 1936 i I did not look that i didn't research that i will look it up while we are talking matt mel what'd you think of this one Uh, (laughs) 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 i spent most of the episode wondering if that chinese food was still going to be any good i know i was very concerned about the chinese food (laughs) I mean, it was kind of sad. This lady has. I was like, the whole time, I was like, oh, Alicia Witt, Witt, she's got a pretty face. I was like, oh, I like looking at her face. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess Crispin Glover is kind of good looking too in a weird kind of way. I was like, mm, this is the only thing that's entertaining me right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, I, I fe- I'm just looking at their faces I in felt, the candlelight. <laughs> I, fe- I felt for this couple at the beginning. I was like, yeah. oh, this is really sad. It is sad. Like, and you then. Know- after the whole thing was over, I was like, oh my god, get on with it. Like, just, I, I hate you guys now. Yeah. yeah. You had me, then you lost me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this could have, could have benefited from 10 minutes. Well, 10, to, 10 to 20 minutes shorter. Well, we checked the time. Like, we were like, oh, we must be, it must be almost like done now. We probably should be podcasting now because we were watching it right before five. Mm. And we were like, no. Still 12 is that minutes one, left. Is that one longer than the other two? <laughs> it is. It actually aired on a separate night. The first two aired on January 8th, 1993. This one aired January 9th, 1993. Well, anyways, I don't know what she's got wrong with her brain, but I'm going to assume that she contracted lynchitis. She just spouts nonsense, stream of consciousness. Yeah. Non sequiturs. <laughs> I, th- I thought she had PS- PTSD, basically. Some kind of weird... Oh. Can I tell you? Can I tell you my earliest theory? Yes. I thought he had made a like a doll and brought her to life with electricity, but then shorted oh out the entire hotel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you really were in deep, deep denial. About I was just hoping it would you? be interesting. Yes, as I say, you were in deep denial. <laughs> then I thought maybe she was blind because yeah, he that's was. What I he was a sailor. A he yeah. was a sailor. He went out on the sea. She stared at the horizon waiting for him to come back, and she went blind staring at the sun. That's why her <laughs> eyes are, like, when they come in with the candlelight, she puts her, well, I don't know, that doesn't really make sense. She wouldn't be blind if she puts her hand up to her eyes, but maybe she's, they're very light sensitive because she stared into the sun waiting for him to come back. I wasn't anywhere time. I wasn't away. Oh, yes, you were. You were, too. You were off sail in the Sea of Red. 
Do you know how it hurts your eyes to stare at the horizon? If you stare at the horizon long enough, all you can see is fire. The entire line of the horizon is burning. Fires as far as the eyes can see. Saying she's like looking at the horizon and it hurts your eyes to stare at the horizon. Yeah. But, but no, I believe at the end it's made clear that her kid died, like drowned while they were having sex. Yeah. yeah. Is that what happened? Yeah. yeah. What? Oswego. Like. Okay, where did you guys get that they were having sex though? He said they were being intimate or something. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, see, I probably tuned out with that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I would not blame you. Yeah, it's a long way to go to get to that. Yeah, and I mean, and they, it's like, who was, uh, hang on a minute. I mean, I had assumed, okay, they brought up uh, Dan Boy. Was it Dan uh, Boy or Dan Bug? It was Dan, Dan Bug. Bug. I'm yeah. sorry, Dan Bug. I think because the guy's name was Daniel. Right. Or, or yeah, Danny. Dan- so Jr. they probably, was like Danny Jr., so they called him Dan Bug for. Yeah, so they brought him up and it was, okay, so that's, you know, the the kid and he probably died oh yeah yeah he did die okay got it um and that's why she's you know she had this you know traumatic thing happening okay got that oh my rinky dink she had another kid die you know but then later they're talking about rinky dink and bonnie were drinking i'm pretty sure rinky Rinky dink was a childhood friend of theirs or something yeah so rinky dink is not a kid he was just a friend of theirs that got killed on his bicycle Apparently by his friend Bonnie, just, but their friend Bonnie, you know, I was just like, I, okay. See, I don't necessarily need lots of exposition, but I need some context and exposition. If you're going to just start mentioning names, mm-hmm. yeah. like, I don't know who these people are. So you're telling a story using names when I have no context, like, I don't even really know your names. How right. do you expect me to follow this, this meandering story that you're telling <laughs> That just seems right. so just arbitrary, and I don't know what the point of any of it is. I remember okay. thinking this last time, too. I'm like, is she saying daddy? No, it's Danny. She just has a weird weird way like of saying Like a lisp, yeah. Each of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, there was, you know, back in especially the 30s, you still hear it occasionally. You know, there was a whole thing of parents calling each other daddy and mommy. Oh, well, Creepy. I it think. is super creepy. My my uncle called my aunt um, mommy. Mommy? I, yeah. yeah. Not even like mother? Because even no, mother- that was no. That was really- no, no. Actually, he may have called her mother, Ugh. something like that. But because because he, you know, the mother of his children, so he'd call her mother right. or mommy, and it was, it was just like, right. oh, this is so bizarre. It was, but it was a. They, you know, they're from Indiana, so what do you expect? It was. It was a very. <laughs> it was very common in that era. Um, but it's still strange. Oh yeah, you'll see it on old movies a lot, you know, um, especially as you say the Midwest and stuff like that. I, and they're from Oklahoma or Oklahoma. Yeah, and uh, Enid, Enid Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he runs out into the rain to get Chinese food, then comes back, and they don't eat the Chinese food. <laughs> yeah, and the lights have gone out while he's there, and she's just been sitting in the dark. Right. This is where we get the bellboy and his sort of Irish accent. Yeah, weird accent. I'm sure they'll have the lights fixed soon. The candles should last until they do. 
There are more candles in the desk there beside the window if you need them. Well, the phones are working. At least they were a few minutes ago. <laughs> if you need anything else, please just call down, ask for Sean. I'd recommend, though, that you stay in the room until the power comes on again. New York is not Oklahoma, you know. <laughs> there are plenty of people who take advantage of a situation like this one. You know what I'm talking about. Thanks. We'll be all right. Uh, do you mind if I keep this uh, lantern? Uh, bird, I mean? Well, sure, no problem. Listen, they'll have this fixed before you finish your dinner. Well, uh, come back and get the lantern you need it or anyone else does. We got plenty. Don't worry. Enjoy your dinner, folks. And he leaves the lantern with them, and then they just spend basically 40 minutes in the darkness just talking and talking and talking. Hey, did anybody else think she, he was going to strangle her at that one point near the end? when? Why would, yeah, why was he looking weird, like, in the candlelight and wrapping things around his hands? Exactly! I, I'm like, really? Well, this the bellboy gonna... says something to them, like... It's very dangerous in the dark. Like, people think they can get away with things or something in the dark. I thought, okay. Maybe it's, just to, maybe it's just to lead you into a different path of thinking. I think it was. Yeah. 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 That's possible. Very possible. And the constant talking about Chinese, where, he, where, yeah. where he's like, a fish jumped. What kind of fish? Chinese fish. Yeah. And Is I it a Chinese doctor? A fish jumped. Fish. Chinese fish. How could you tell it was Chinese? Because it told my fortune. Are you sure this was at Lake Osage? It jumped. Straight up out of the black water and spoke to me. You never told me this before, honey. <laughs> I just thought you'd think I was crazier than I already am. I don't think you're crazy. I don't know what to call it, but it's not crazy. Maybe Dr. Smith has a name for it. A fish, by any other name, is still a fish. Even if it's Chinese? Definitely. If it's Chinese. Chinese, Chinese, definitely Chinese. They say Chinese like a thousand times, and I feel like it was... It's, this is the same writer as the first one, who was like Lu, Mo, Mo, Lu, and I... I feel like this writer has this habit of just finding a word and, like, repeating it over and over again, like trying to lull us into some sort of rhythm, some sort of cadence with this, by repeating words. It's supremely irritating. It is pretty irritating. Crispin Glover has a monologue about a dead dog or something? I don't even know. And then that's <laughs> what dead dogs are for, is to beat the shit out of them. 
No, it was a never. It, it was a monologue about a guy named Famine who reminded him of Ricky Dink, who we don't know who the hell Ricky Dink is, but we know that this guy Famine reminded him of it. And again, at that point, I still thought Rinky Dink was a kid, like mm-hmm. maybe a second child that they had also lost, because uh, that could definitely push you over the edge. Um, but then he goes into this long thing, and that's when the you know the dead dog they used them the dead dog to to get out of a ditch by sticking it under the wheels. Oh yeah, yeah. And and. That's what the dog was there for. They just kept leaving the dog's corpse so people could use it to get out of a ditch. God. And that somehow related to Rinky Dink. And I don't know. I don't know All's either. I know. All I know is that I never want to go to Oklahoma now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Oklahoma many, many times. And Did you yeah. ever get stuck in a ditch and have to use a dog's carcass to get your car out of the ditch? You know, that did not happen. That did not happen. Many other things did, but not that. That was a loud telephone, too. Yeah. Hello? Frighteningly loud. Yeah, that was one of the things that they changed in the room so that it would be... Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was... In- that must be a fancy hotel in 1939 to have a telephone in the room uh, and what happens at the end because it looks like they kiss and then they look out the window and they're engulfed by the sun or something because he's like the whole city's lit up yeah not by the sun by by the great white way i guess because it turned mm. all white i thought they were getting nuked <laughs> maybe <laughs> that's I just, what it looked maybe like I just wish they were being nuked but yeah. it's a science miracle for it to happen in 1939 oh by the way i looked and uh if there was a blackout in 1939, it was no big deal because it's not listed. Just 1977 and uh, 1960 something. I don't know. I closed it up already. Well, they were I talking remember- about how was hot it, it was. I'm sorry. Were go ahead. About- were they talking about how hot it was? Yeah, they uh, mentioned it several times. Yeah, and he goes, if it weren't so damn hot, I'd kiss you. I'm like, oh, Why is right. That- I do remember that. And she says, like, kiss me anyway. So I was wondering if... <laughs> If it was like that episode of the Twilight Zone where the Earth is spiraling toward the sun, it's like you, do you remember that one? The midnight. Do you remember the Midnight Sun? Yeah, I do. It's my favorite Twilight Zone episode. The oh, Earth has yeah, the Earth has yeah. gone out of its orbit and it's headed into the sun, and everyone's sweating buckets. And that's what I was wondering if that's what was happening. You really were like I wanted. I wanted something. What, yeah, you you really really wanted something else to happen other than what did because nothing um, did <laughs> yeah really not a whole lot did it was supposed to be little slices of personal drama but that is really hard to do it is it's really hard to do well that's why you know playwrights who do that kind of thing spend years writing the play and getting it just right oh and here's a little fun fact the guy who wrote the first and second one actually published these teleplays. They... I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. It... What does that mean? It means like they made a book out of it. Like you could. Oh, God. Yeah, you could buy the script. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have a little note from him. He says, 
Yo, in his book of teleplays, Barry Gifford writes, The only rules regarding composition were that the action take place in specific years. Tricks, for example, is set in 1969 and be set in a particular New York City hotel room numbered 603. The corridor immediately outside the room and the hotel lobby. Did we see the lobby? No. No. I think we saw the lobby in the third one when he was bringing the guy in with the candlelight or the lanterns. But, you know, you couldn't see very much of anything because lanterns. And he goes on to write, A bellboy and maid, the only continuing characters in the series, were to be included in the plays at my option. Blackout was written in two days. Uh, Lynch said <laughs> Lynch said that it should be something our grandmothers could watch. I said, that would not be a problem. I'll write the play. You guys gag and tie up the old ladies. <laughs> what? I don't know. I really don't so know. Because... Your grandmother could watch it, yeah. So, we were the old ladies. Welcome to the old lady club, guys. <laughs> no! <laughs> Got a That's review funny. here from 1993. This is from Newsday. Let's have Mel read this. Oh, God. It was brilliant! David Lynch's HBO trilogy, Three Vacancies for Hotel Room, by Terry Kelleher, staff writer, Newsday, January 8th, 1993. Mm, he's got David Lynch in all caps for some reason. David Lynch called Called his new HBO drama special, Hotel Room, but he should have lifted the title of a 20-year-old Bob Hope bomb, Cancel My Reservation. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you're a diehard Twin Peaks freak who's incorrigibly wild at heart, oh, come on. (laughs) This guy's just kind of (laughs) riff. You'll be itching to check out this of this check out of this night <laughs> no i can't read this it's too many puns <laughs> check out of this 90 minute trilogy premiering tonight at 11 long before the door finally closes on the tedious things in room 603 of the railroad hotel in new york city they could find laura palmer's corpse in the closet and you wouldn't care a whit uh <laughs> with monty montgomery lynch is the co-creator and co-executive producer of hotel room He directed two episodes, both written by Barry Gifford, author of the novel on which Lynch's movie Wild at Heart was based. Credit for the third script goes to J. McInerney of Bright Lights... McInerney? Of Bright Lights Big City fame. On the plus side, their efforts yielded one memorable bit of black comedy. The ending of McInerney (laughs) getting rid of Robert. I've never heard of this. On the minus side, there's everything else. (laughs) the opening visuals and voiceover are so pretentious (laughs) and then do you want me to read that for a millennium (laughs) no we've heard it (laughs) so that you figure that lynch must be onto himself this time perhaps self-indulgence will blossom into witting self-parody but the first episode tricks quickly dashes our hopes and that's about all it does quickly glenn Headley plays a hooker and harry dean stanton is her ill at ease john when Stanton is at last ready to partake of Heedley's favors, they're interrupted by a gross mystery man, <laughs> Freddie Jones, who swills bourbon, makes cryptic references to his past dealings with Stanton, and eventually has his way with Heedley, while Stanton miserably begs him to desist. <laughs> the twist ending is obviously intended to fool us into thinking we've just sat through something other than a half hour of utter nonsense. At least the ending of Getting Rid of Robert, not to be revealed here, Somewhat redeems the sloppy direction by James Signorelli, the strained bitchiness of the dialogue, and the lackluster acting of Deborah Unger. 
as a woman awaiting an assignation with mm-hmm. her yeah with her sorry assignation with her arrogant lover in Chelsea Field and Mariska Hargitay as the female friends who keep her company till the heel Griffin Dunn shows up when Dunn spells out Unger's flaws the cruel words might have more impact if her hair weren't blocking our view of his face. Apparently concerned that Trix made too many concessions to conventional dramaturgy, Lynch and Gifford allowed absolutely nothing of interest to happen in the concluding episode, Blackout. A power failure forces a man, Crispin Glover, and his wife, Alicia Witt, to huddle by candlelight in room 603 as they, as they talk around and around the subject of their small boy's accidental death. The only th- surprise is that Glover plays the saner one. <laughs> the episodes are set in 1969-1992. Just a sec. Something popped up. The episodes are set in 1969, 1992, and 1936, respectively. But the same ageless bellboy and maid are on duty in all three. For a millennium, they wish the guests in 603 would put the do not disturb sign dot dot dot. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Can't disagree with them. Let's find out what the New York Times says. We'll have uh, Matt read this one. Okay. David Lynch has long raised suspicions that his work would be most at home on late-night television, but Hotel Room indicates otherwise. This set-bound omnibus drama produced by Mr. Lynch and featuring three-week episodes set in the New York City hotel room of the title plays like a listless visit to a Lynch-style Twilight Zone where stories go nowhere, anecdotes are pointlessly bizarre, and lame quips are echoed emptily, as if banality were a form of wit. Not even the lateness of the hour. Hotel Room was first shown on Friday at 11 p.m. and will be rebroadcast tonight at midnight. Shows of these three vignettes shows oh shows these three vignettes off to a good to good advantage. But getting rid of Robert, the one written by Jay McInerney and directed by James Signorelli, at least has the advantage of being cheerful and reasonably murk-free. Like the other two episodes, Mister. Oh, like the other two episodes with Mr. Lynch directing, it is set in room 603, a drab set that has been none too vigorously redecorated to suit each different time period. The three segments take place in 1969, 1992, and 1936 in that order. The cleverest conceit of Hotel Room is to use the same young actors, Clark, Heath, Heath, Clark Heathcliff Broly and Camilla Over, Overby Ruse. <laughs> Overbite. Overbite. (laughs) To play bellboy and maid, no matter what the year. In Getting Rid of Robert, the most modern of the three tales, the bored, spoiled Sasha, Deborah Unger, checks in and begins trading champagne-laced confidences with two foxy friends, Mariska Hargitay and Chelsea Field. It develops that Sasha plans to ditch her boyfriend, Robert, Griffin Dunn, an amusingly slick movie executive, and that her friends may find Robert too good a catch to throw back. Mr. Lynch, who co-produced Hotel Room with Monty Montgomery, has lost none of his trademark misogyny. <laughs> Mr. McInerney's wry name-dropping screenplay builds up to the sight of a woman murmuring, you really hurt me, <laughs> to the man she has just hit with an American brass fireplace poker. As a sign of the times, it is also one of the stories, stories characters declaring that Early American brass has absolutely gone through the roof. Noticeably less droll is the opening episode, Tricks, set in 1969 and featuring Glenn Headley and Harry Dean Stanton as a bored prostitute named Darlene and her client Mo. 
Lou, Freddie Jones, a grizzled, talkative friend of Moe's, also appears on the scene unexpectedly, and after a while, Darlene comes to life. Although Barry Gifford's screenplay includes a number of rambling reminiscences about nothing, i.e. Moe's remembrance of delivering Chinese food to a sexy customer, the episode peaks when the stoned... When the stone Darlene is persuaded to perform a high school cheerleading routine, Miss Headley is as good as it is possible to be under such circumstances. <laughs> Blackout, the closing segment, is the one that comes closest to being pure talk. Set in 1936 and featuring a young husband, Crispin Glover, coping with the madness of his beautiful wife, Alicia Witt, this is the one hotel room episode with the potential to be genuinely haunting. But Mr. Gifford's teleplay, which has the air of a stage-bound one-act drama, is allowed to ramble until it runs out of steam. And Mr. Lynch's direction, even allowing for the power blackout of the title, is unduly dark. Hotel Room is helped somewhat by more eerie music from Angelo Badalamenti and attention-getting costumes by Patricia Norris, which range from stylish and slatternly, although the two are, of course, not mutually exclusive. These elements of the production have an energy level that the rest of it conspicuously lacks. I have to say that I liked Angelo Badalamenti's music in the third one, in Blackout, because it was very subtle and moody, and I liked the sound effects of the rain pattering against the windows. The distant but, train. And the distant train. Yeah, it was it was pretty evocative, um, that sound design, but his music in the second one was incessant. The oh. jazzing, the jazz like drumming, and I, it was just pretty bad. Here's no. a question: What was it with the Chinese food in both the first one and the third one? I don't know, but I was wondering if there was a connection. Yeah, I mean, I had when when Chinese food came up in the third one, I was like, wait a minute, did, wasn't there Chinese food in the other one too? And yeah, yeah, I wanted to know if they were linked somehow. <laughs> you know, this is like world building. <laughs> like, yeah, really. Like is this Crispin- Chinese? Yeah, like Crispin Glover got Chinese food from a family business that years later uh, will employ Harry Dean Stanton as a child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is is the Chinese restaurant like the bellboy and the and the maid? You know, maybe that's where all the magic comes from that they forgot to add to the stories. Well, I have to stay tuned for David Lynch's next series, Chinese Restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll read some feedback here from Harold. Oh, he hated this, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) He says, Both of these shows were duds, but they were distinctly different kinds of duds. Hotel Room was trying for something interesting and arty, but failed. Perversions of Science was trying for something like Tales from the Crypt, but with more boobs. (laughs) There is something intriguing about using a hotel room as a setting which must be obvious since there was this show and that movie Four Rooms, which I've never seen, but basically sounds like the same idea. But at least for me personally, I've never been a big fan of chamber dramas. The only interesting thing about the first episode is how it echoed so many of David Lynch's other works and that he once again went to the well of a murderer who was a split personality or somehow switched into the bo- another body or something. I'm still not exactly sure what's happened. But in any event, he did it. He did this idea better both before and after this episode. I did like Alicia's wit performance in the last episode, but it felt too long. I think my favorite part of the three episodes actually came in the non-David Lynch episode. Not that it was a good episode, but the whole time that I was watching it, I was just waiting for Griffin Dunn to get brained with the fireplace poker. And I loved the twist that instead of dying, he's lying there on the floor with blood pouring out of him, and it turns out to be foreplay. Now that is a relationship I can get behind. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it was kind of darkly funny that he's all massive head wound Harry and she's like making out with him. Mm. Mm. It's weird. That's about all. That's about all. Uh, yeah. Oh man, I'm so worried about Twin Peaks season three. <laughs> well, that's probably fine though. I mean, like Mark Frost will keep him keep him from going too insane, right? Nope. Right? Why? Because his secret history of Twin Peaks was so on point. Oh fuck! <laughs> you know, had the season three been on ABC, you know, like a a major television network would have probably reined them in. But now they're on Showtime, so they probably have free reign to do whatever they wanted to. True. I, oh. Um, I really do enjoy Twin Peaks for the most part, but mm-hmm. you know, I find it accessible compared to a lot of his other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I remember in season two, right? That's the one where it begins with Cooper in the hotel room and he's talking to the giant. Yeah. And it goes on so long. It's so the pace is so bad and slow. Mm-hmm. And I could just feel people t- tuning out. They did. Like yeah. years and years back. Like I can feel your audience just turning the television channel right now or turning the TV off. Yeah. Which they did, yeah. So I don't know. When when I heard that he was gonna direct all the episodes, I went, Oh, oh. well everyone else was like, Yay! <laughs> David Lynch apologists. Yeah. All right. They hate me. They hate you? Why? Because I don't love everything he does, and I did a podcast about his stuff, mm-hmm. well. and I don't absolutely love all of it, therefore I should die. <laughs> I tried to find more reviews of Hotel Room. I only found these two. So it's not like I found like the two worst ones or the ones that um, agreed with my opinion. These were the only two that I could find. I couldn't find any reviews for Perversions of Science, and I really looked. I tried, you know, couldn't find any. So mm. I found a couple, like, non-mainstream uh, reviews of Hotel Room from David Lynch fans, and they liked Blackout quite a lot. Mm. Really? But, yeah, that was their favorite. That's very sad. I mean, I liked... It's just... It sucks because I like a lot of the actors in these three episodes, but... Yeah. They weren't doing anything interesting. It's like It's like an experiment, but it's like an experiment that didn't work for... Most people, do you know what I mean? Like, it's some mm-hmm. people might enjoy it for the artsiness or whatever, or because it's David Lynch. Mm. I mean, because they feel like they have to like everything that he does. But yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't work overall. One of my notes says, "I'm sure it was fun for these actors to act these parts, but you don't dare film it and put it on television. The nerve of you, Mr. David Lynch." <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a lovely view of the station from here. Yes, I remember. I can never decide whether it's very discreet or just very snarky the way you pretend you haven't brought me to this room about a million times. Either way, I won't be back. So, let's rate it. Oh. Mel, you can go first. Oh, I don't... I, I wish I could remember what my old rating was. From years ago? From years ago, because I don't want to rate it higher. I don't know. I mean... Are we it... rating them one at a time or for the entire series? The entire would, series. The entire I would, thing. I would, okay. I give it a two out of ten for effort. I mean, mm-hmm. I know they tried. I don't think it succeeded, though. Do you have a funny quip, quippy rating? Oh, shit. <laughs> you getting your uh, notes? Two out of ten minutes of my life. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's how long you spent paying attention? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt? Uh, I will also give it a two. One point for actors I like. And one point for some of the music. Uh, two out of ten, uh, 
Chinese food boxes full of salmonella. <laughs> Carol? Um, trying to figure out a rating system. I'm also going to go with 2 out of 10. Oh, convoluted, pretentious attempts at art. Okay. I think you guys went way too easy on this. This was the, one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen. Probably <laughs> uh, last time, to be honest, but whatever. No, it was... I didn't find it offensive, so no. two out of ten. I, I like some of the actors. Um, yeah, I, I really don't have a problem with the premise. Like, do an anthology series set in a hotel room? Like, okay, if you can make it interesting. But this mm. wasn't. This was just a mess. And I will give it one out of ten. Jeez, um, you weren't that much harder on it than we were. <laughs> <laughs> one out of ten. Massive head wound, Harry's. Mm. Well, he was half the amount of each one of us, so... Mm-hmm. She gives us a 1.75 average. Would anyone watch another episode if there was a fourth one? I would not. No. What's the point? No. I could barely watch what was there, so... <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, the next program that we'll be covering is an anthology series that is a spin-off of Tales from the Crypt. It's 1997's Perversions of Science. Yeah, it's what it's taken from uh, the comics called Weird Science, and it's done basically in the same style. They even have the a crypt keeper, except it's a CGI robot named Chrome, <laughs> and it's an anthology series. Except the bent here was that it was going to be more science fiction than horror. And what it really is is just sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just you know. I mean, they make it clear that this is you know their their uh, intro indicates that. You know, a sex robot is going to be the host, and the whole thing is basically, you know, twelve-year-old boy fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it's just they, like, hey, we know what you think HBO is about. You're right. <laughs> yeah, they lost me so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, you know, they totally lost me by the time they showed the sex robot. I was like, oh, really? And this is going to be a host. Mm-hmm. And opening up her breast, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She yeah. opens her breasts so that we can zoom in to her video feed. It's yeah, not even because... like go on. 
it wasn't even the the this it wasn't even like well i guess it was the sexiness but it was like just the fact it was just over the top just mm-hmm. too yeah. much like back off a little don't be so obvious <laughs> i don't know there was no subtlety to any of this mm-hmm. the yeah, two episodes we covered were the premiere dream of doom and then episode three, Boxed In, which all aired on the same night, June 7th, 1997. Someone has to recap these in 60 seconds. I could only do the first one. Well, if, if, it, if it's you, then you'll only do the first one. But uh, okay. I got the old spinner here. I'm pressing the button, and here we go. <laughs> Matt, it's you. No. <laughs> it was very nearly melt. Very nearly. Well, at least you didn't fall asleep during the first one. <laughs> yeah, she would have been screwed. Yeah. I might as well have fallen asleep during the first one. All right, so you've got 60 seconds to recap both of these episodes with as much detail as possible. If you go over 60 seconds, you lose. If you mm. go ridiculously <laughs> under, you're a sex bot chump. All right, ready? And uh, three, two, one, go. Uh, the first one has Keith Carradine, and he thinks he's always dreaming. He seems to be right. He just keeps waking up in random situations. Nothing is what it seems. And it does that for like a half an hour. And then at the end is the lady who has been, you know, one of the only other two other. There's three people. The lady is one of two ladies. She wakes up instead of him. She screams. It's weird. Uh, the second one has, uh, oh, we just watched it. Oh yeah. There's a guy, there's a guy in space and he, he won a, a sex, a sex bot. And he doesn't want to use it. I don't know why he keeps it, but he resists it until he gets home. He's waiting for his beloved. And then she has like some sort of weird chastity belt on. And then he's like, (laughs) fuck it. I'm going to fuck this robot. And then she like changes her mind. And then he has to hide the sex bot, but he fails. And then they cut off his his dick and his legs. (laughs) The end. One minute. Whoa. 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 Wow. Very nicely done, sir. What do you guys think of the main titles? I I liked them. They were actually they're, the highlight. <laughs> they're very evocative of um, the Crypt Keeper with all the like traveling into things. Yeah, and the music yeah. was too. Mm-hmm. It was upbeat. It was very sprightly. Like when I put this on, I was like, "Oh, this! I I can already tell this is going to be more fun than Hotel Room." Mm-hmm. And it was to some extent, but mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the the theme. <laughs> I thought it was. I mean, it was like, okay, we're going into popcorn. And we do we the atoms, and then the atoms inside the atoms are little spaceships and things. <laughs> I thought uh-huh. that was okay. There's like a there's a whole city inside the popcorn, and then at the end we zoom out, and the dog eats the popcorn. Oh, I didn't I didn't bother with that. You didn't stick around for that. <laughs> no, I barely <laughs> stuck around. I I made it a point to watch the sex bot at the end to see what you know, but I didn't see the dog. Uh. Cute dog. Highlight of the episode. I would imagine so. I'm sorry I missed it. So Dream of Doom, it was directed by Walter Hill, who directed the pilot of Deadwood. Stars Keith Carradine, Lolita Davidovich, Adam Arkin, and Peter Jason, who played Count Stapleton, was supposed to be the priest, but I didn't see a priest. I don't remember a priest. So mm, Yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, one of my first notes is rather than the Crypt Keeper, we have a CGI robot named Chrome, and she plays back video from her metal breast. Classy. <laughs> yeah very close yeah. it just honestly it just annoyed me that it was like okay this is screaming that this is only for men 
Mm-hmm. You know, women are, you know, we don't give a shit about you. And mm-hmm. I just, I just was annoyed by it right from the beginning. <sighs> yep, yep. The episode uh, itself, which is about a guy who apparently like signed up for some dream studies at his university where he's like a professor, mm-hmm. but now we sort of caught in lucid dreaming or what have you. Have you heard of lucid dreaming? Mm-hmm. I got involved in a study at the psych labs here. They were doing a series of experiments. They gave me a drug, DMAE. Dimethylaminoethanol. It's a neurotransmitter. Some people believe it can increase REM sleep. And more REM sleep means more dreams, which is, I guess, how I wound up here. We were trying to trigger a lucid state on command. The government was involved. They did the funding. It could be useful in the spook world. CIA, NSC, that kind of thing. I only got into the program because I was bored. I thought maybe it would kick something loose inside. You are aware that there have been studies suggesting that prolonged states of lucid dreaming can cause psychoses. I'm aware that you seem to be saying I must be nuts. If we're going to be honest about the situation, we have to discuss the possibility that you might be experiencing a kind of discreet psychotic episode. I'd love to be experiencing a psychotic episode. At least that would be a rational explanation. What's your alternative? The idea that everything around us doesn't exist? Look... This isn't getting us anywhere. You don't believe I'm dreaming, right? Then prove it. There must be tests, some way to tell. In a dream, even a lucid dream, there are telltale signs of non-reality. Clocks running backwards, identity puzzles or contradictions, words or signs that change meaning when you look at them. That's old news. I'm way past that. Then, of course, there are the more extreme tests. Like what? Like this. I found the episode actually not very sexy at all. There was a topless scene, but it two. wasn't sexy. Yeah, at least like a stripping scene. No, there's more than two. There's there's the oh, whole yeah. stripper thing. There's the Marilyn Monroe character topless. And oh yeah, the, the shower scene. Still, nothing about it was sexy. No, yeah, but to a twelve year old, like, uh, <laughs> uh, boo. Yeah, uh. yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, it was twelve year old boy. You know, ooh, look at that. That really is who this is aimed at, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but oddly enough, I mean, they've got this very cerebral story that I was, you know, I was pretty curious about. It was like, okay, so where are you going to go with this? Because, you know, they're just like, okay, we're watching a broken record here. He's dreaming and dreaming and dreaming. And, you know, it's driving him crazy. When is it going to start driving us crazy? And I'm waiting for the payoff. And then the payoff was like, what the hell was that? What does it mean? I, I did not I did not get it. I still don't. Anybody able to explain that one to me? No. Maybe she's the one stuck now. <laughs> I don't know. I, my impression was that um, his his experience, his dreams were was just her dream. Yeah, that was the feeling I got, except that she was horrified and screamed. So, but it's like, Okay, so she's been dreaming through his eyes? I, oh, I don't know. You know, that makes no sense. How often do you do that? You know, like, dream that you're your husband or dream that you're your wife. Yeah. That's not really how dreams work from what I understand. I mean, I don't think most people do that. No, they don't dream from someone else's POV. Mm-hmm. Right. So she wasn't in all the dreams, 
So she, right? They weren't her dreams, and they were definitely he was. So what was that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a twist ending that makes no sense. Yeah. He- uh, he just transferred the that never-ending dream to her. That's what I think. <laughs> I thought of that, but it's like, why would we think? I mean, I thought of it, so obviously there's a reason to think of it. But it's like, what evidence is there of that at all? So, yeah, I don't know. I, it's almost like, okay, you know, we'll make up what you must mean the ending to be, even though there's absolutely no evidence for that. But hey, we'll help you out here. It was very disappointing. And they're such good actors. What year was this? 1997. So this was after... I was really surprised at, you know, the age of... I was expecting them to be... Um, it to be older and them to be younger. Because a lot of good TV had been done by 1997. I knew Adam Arkin from Northern Exposure. You know, Buffy had been on for a year at... No. This show originally aired on HBO, but the video that we had came from a re-airing on the Space Network, which is a Canadian channel. Uh Uh-huh. Which is why there was like an ad in here for like Nova Scotia Bank or something. (laughs) Yeah, there were a couple weird ads. But when the, uh, yeah, there's an ad for Dianetics that was... Oh, yeah. Because I used to, I remember those ads. Like, how can they allow ads for Scientology on TV? That makes no sense. It doesn't say Scientology. (laughs) Even so, I, I'm pretty sure religions can advertise on TV. Yeah, yes. but that doesn't count as a religion. That's that's a cult. Yeah, technically. <laughs> How dare you? It does. <laughs> technically, it is recognized. It's got its. Uh, it's recognized by the federal government. It's well, just because they sense. just because they can advertise doesn't mean a network should just take the money and allow their ads on TV, knowing what they do. They should be more responsible. Yeah. That's what American corporations are known well, for. Well, this is a Canadian channel. Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm out then as far as that goes. I don't know how Canadian corporations deal. Like, I know when this episode originally aired on HBO, but I don't know when this was broadcast on the Space Network. There was an ad, though, for from the creators of Buffy and Angel. Yes, I saw that. And then it ended. And I don't know what, what they were advertising. Yeah. What could that be? Oh, I think it was – it might have been – I don't know. It, it did but, say – but I, it was quick. It was very quick. No, it didn't say it. I thought it did. After it said Buffy and Angel, there was a flash of a, a website address. But I don't know if that necessarily had um, anything to do with the Buffy and Angel thing, or if that was the end of another ad that they had spliced out. Mm. Mm. I went to the web address. It didn't load any long dead that website. I guess in somewhere in my head, I was thinking they were advertising DVDs or something, but. Hmm. I thought maybe Profit, which is a show from 1996 that was created by David Greenwald, or at least he directed or wrote episodes. Or oh, something. and he might have been maybe. from from Buffy and from Angel. David Greenwald, who did Buffy and Angel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I saw Profit. Mark Snow did the music for this series. You could tell. <laughs> you could tell. Uh, yeah, so I just dozed off there. I was just. Uh... Yes? I don't know. Let's go get some lunch. Good with me. Skip breakfast. I think I'm starting to lose it, Paul. It's the same old story. Nothing seems real to me, at least inside my head. It's all that screwed up study you've been a part of. Letting these goddamn fed grant psych nerds rewire your brain. It's bullshit and it's messing with your head. Let me ask you something. 
you ever remember your dreams? Arthur, I don't want to remember my dreams. People should not mess with that. You start emptying out the toy box, you're never going to stuff all the pieces back inside. There's a reason why we forget them, you know? Maybe you're right. I just don't know how much more of this I can take. I mean, it's not just that I can't forget my dreams. Lately, I can't even get out of them. <coughs> Arthur? Arthur, are you okay? Arthur! Hey, 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 Arthur, are you okay? I had forgotten that he had done the music and it was about 11 minutes in Keith Carradine and Adam Arkin are having a conversation and the music was so X-Files. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's right. Mark Snow did this. I think he just took X-Files music and, and pasted it in. It was, yeah, it was pretty much exactly the same. It's indiscernible. It was indiscernible. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess that's been done before. If they don't have original music ready, they just borrow from something else. And plug it in, but yeah, very X Fileish that music. Mark Snow plagiarized himself. <laughs> uh, all of Keith Carradine's dreams are bad news. He's yeah. accused of pl- plagiarism in some um, uh, in and- something that he uh, like research paper or something that he published. And Adam Markin says you don't have ten years, so you're done at this university. Good job or good luck finding a job teaching Bible school. Also, this student's going to sue you for sexual harassment. Yeah, and it turns out to be the same student yeah there's actually four characters five four um are are the two are the two white women the same person same actress there's only there's only one lolita davidovich yeah she plays the therapist the wife the daughter marilyn monroe and a stripper okay all right i thought so but i just wasn't sure uh felt like a tales from the crypt episode in style it gave me that feeling of watching a tales from the crypt episode but it was very like it didn't have any focus. Yeah, if so, if that, I wondered where we were headed with it the entire time. What's the endpoint of this? Yeah, I figured it would. You know, it was all about the payoff. You know, it had to have some kind of decent payoff because there was nothing else there except this guy's having bad dreams. How mm-hmm. many different kinds of bad dreams can you know? How is he going to get out of this dream? So it's like okay. That's going to happen at the very end. There's going to be some kind of payoff. We're going to find out what this is. It wasn't good, so the whole thing was useless. When did, when you say, uh, maybe I could kill myself to escape this, and all the people around you say, yeah, that's the theory. That's the theory that you can't kill yourself in a dream. Don't kill yourself. <laughs> it's too uh, too ominous sounding. Yeah, I mean... Find it, yourself stuck in a dream. That's just my advice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was that point when they he was saying, oh, I killed myself. I'm dead. And I thought, oh, okay, so this is going to be, they're going to go a different direction. They He was, thought he was dreaming, but actually he's been dead, you know. And I was wondering if he was in a coma or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, how are you going to pay this off? And it was just like, then they just didn't. Or maybe he had an affair with the student and then got busted, or he, they, his um, paper was plagiarized, so he killed himself. But then they somehow took his brain activity and and just like in a transporter buffer, they kept it in there. And now, but it just sort of loops on itself. So, to, so they kept him alive, <laughs> but in, in in a lucid dream state. You actually took the idea that they were going to do science fiction seriously. Yes, I know. Silly, silly boy. I know. <laughs> Because who was this? Who is this for? Like kids who, like you know, the twelve-year-old boy who's titillated by the robot, right? 
And the topless scenes, they're not going to be able to follow or care about this story. No, not at all. So no wonder this lasted 10 episodes because this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, they they set everything up for, oh, this is going to be all, you know, sex and titillation. Uh, Come come see us, little boys, either mind or in body. (laughs) That's creepy. (laughs) And... Yeah, I mean, I found it pretty creepy. And uh, then they, you know, were like, ah, and we're doing art now. It's like, really? Really? I wish that was the, uh, the ad campaign. Come see us, little boys. <laughs> 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 they just advertise it on the side of vans. <laughs> Go- gorilla marketing. Come see us, little boys. <laughs> It made no sense. No, I kept falling. I kept falling asleep and then waking up at like random times. And I was like, oh, like what the hell is happening now? And then I would fall asleep again. And then I remember waking up when the guy was like telling him that he should be, uh, he should uh, go teach Bible school. And I was like, this is the best quote of the episode. And then I fell asleep again. (laughs) This paper that you're trying to publish is nothing more than plagiarism. For God's sake, you didn't even try to disguise it very well. You've gone to secondary sources and used them word for word. What the hell are you thinking of? And I've got news for you. Word is already out. Not only are they rejecting publication, but they have contacted your department head. It's not like you've got tenure. You are out of here at the end of the semester. When this gets into the pipeline, you will be lucky to get a job teaching at some Bible school. And if that's not enough to make a meal out of, it seems that our little friend here has made a sexual harassment charge against you with the dean's office. She may even be filing a lawsuit. Isn't that right, honey? Mm-hmm. Seems you got a little off course with the private study group. Not very smart, Arthur. But I'm sympathetic. I was, yeah, trying, I to keep, I was trying to keep her away. We were watching <laughs> on the phone. Because we were at uh, her parents' place, so we were just in bed, and she was holding. We were taking turns holding the phone. I could tell she was falling asleep. I'm like, "You hold it," and I, I wanted her to stay awake, so it made her hold the phone. It just <laughs> gradually started falling down onto my chest. <laughs> uh, each one of these that we, I watched had less and less and less notes as I became, you know, more disenchanted with the whole thing. My notes so, are, are for these were extensive because I wanted to have something to talk about because I had a feeling that this was going to be a struggle. <laughs> I had I ended up with eight lines about including the title for Perversions of Science. They tried to make the voice sound like the Twilight Zone. They did? It didn't. <laughs> mm. um, and of course, Chrome is very uh, punny and quippy, just like the Crypt Keeper, though not as good. I didn't notice. Okay, so... Let's talk about Boxed In, which aired on the same night as episodes one and two. This one was directed by William Shatner. So if you ever go to a convention and you get to talk to him, make sure you ask him about this episode. (laughs) It was written by Chris Miller and Kevin Rock. Chris Miller wrote Animal House and Multiplicity, and this was his second to last writing credit, according to the IMDb. And Kevin Rock wrote Howling the Sixths, Warlock, The Armageddon, 1994 is the Fantastic Four, and then according to the IMDb, he didn't write anything after he wrote Perversions of Science. Oh, oh God! So yeah, killed their careers. Mm. At least I hope so. <laughs> uh, in this one, Kevin Pollock is a pilot, and he 
his only companion on this ship is a sex droid named Dulcine. Well, he says he won. In a bet. But he doesn't want it. So mm. why, why do you why, take it? <laughs> why are you keeping it? Why, yeah, why are you keeping it around? You're just torturing yourself. He's like running from it. Like, he's yeah, like, like, it's coming for him. And he's like, oh, he tries to lock himself away. Vicky, dry? You know I'm not wet. We have sonic showers. Figure of speech. Flow with the imagery here, okay? You're not supposed to be in here. We've discussed this before. I know, and I don't care. I'd like to say it's because I'm a sex droid, and it's my programming. But it's not. It's you, Ogo. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, why are you standing? Standing's not a good thing. I want you. I want you so bad I can taste you. If androids could taste. It's another figure of speech thing. I want to feel you. And I want you to feel me. Yeah, well... We can't forget about dull. Delicious. We could set this galaxy on fire. Really? Your robe says yes. Yeah, well, my robe's got a mind of its own. Well, I like the way it thinks. Why are you doing this to me? You're a machine. Dulcine is real. I, I made a promise. Don't you understand? I made a promise. Oh. Oh, God. Why did I make this promise? Oh. You won't even remember her name when we're done. Don't make me do anything I'll regret. Oh, you won't regret a single second. Trust me. Oh, God, please forgive me. I like that when she walks, she squeaks. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Though if you can create a sex bot that's basically sentient, Mm. you can make it not squeak when she walks. By the way, was that who Melanie Shatner was? I was very concerned that that was who Melanie Shatner was. Because <laughs> I was like, is that his daughter or his wife? Like, I, I hope that's his wife. I assume Melanie Shatner <laughs> but was even his actual... So. It was playing his daughter in this? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. okay. Because uh, they're both named Dulcine. No, that's just as bad. Sorry. Why? <laughs> because he had to put the chastity belt on her. <laughs> like, that's awful. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, the IMDb credits Dulcine um, to the actress Heather Elizabeth Parkhurst. Okay. And to uh, Melanie. Not Melanie? Yeah, Melanie Shatner. So mm. they're both named Dulcine. It was very confusing and I and just a little marginally less creepy, but I was seeing her in that outfit. Before, he, before she was even topless, I was like, God, is that his daughter? Because <laughs> this is disturbing. Yes. No, not his daughter. <laughs> I don't know. I was still disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Uh, the Admiral's daughter is also named Dulcine. She calls Kevin Pollock Dunkel Lips. <sighs> what does that mean? I don't know. She says, never mind. It will take too long to explain. But yeah, she's got a futuristic chastity belt that her father made for her. So I didn't understand how she could get in and out of that because it took her, like, it took quite some effort for her to unlock the thing. No, but I have to touch you. But I have to feel you. Oh, no. I have to press parts of my body against you. I don't even know why. No, you can't. Yes, I can. I can get used to that. Daddy had it made for me. It has fingerprint and code entry plus retinal scan for outside authorized personnel entry. Also an alarm system warrants naval control in case of premature removal in an enemy territory. (laughs) Maybe we should just talk about the wedding, huh? It well, that's the point. Me... You can't get it. You can't get it off. No, but I mean, like, 
you you would have to get it off to pee. You would have to get it off to wash yourself. I, I'm assuming like, it has know, some sort of compartment that some uh, sort of like a piece that it, is removable. But it made me th- like because she was like, "Oh, it's got fingerprint technology," and I was like, "I hope to God your dad is not fucking <laughs> opening that for you because that's really disturbing." Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> could you, could yeah, you fingerprint yeah, this? Put your finger, it, yeah, come on, like that's. Chastity uh, <sighs> Cast- belt is just awful to begin with. Chastity Car- belts were not supposed to be taken off except by whatever man was at ownership of you basically disgusting so you supposedly were supposed to do all the stuff you needed to do while in them yes. yeah mm. like that's you get no dignity that way like it's, like they weren't designed for dignity no obviously <laughs> they were designed for well we won't get into that <laughs> <laughs> You can tell I'm I'm tired. I'm like really sleepy, so I'm just l- literally saying what I think instead of instead No, you should say what you think. This is what this me. this is a platform you should speak <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, I'm sitting here with my little pink hat on. Um <laughs> uh there was an, a very amusing moment where he's kissing his sex spot and she vomits a spring onto his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. I was like, that could be an animated GIF. Yes. You could make it happen. <laughs> I could. You have I just might. I just might. Anyways, uh, I, it, was, it was like, I was like, I just didn't want, I don't know, the whole thing. I was just like, I don't want to see this. I just, <laughs> I didn't want to like, see Kevin Pollack getting it on with a sex bot. I didn't want to see, uh, I don't know, everything. It was just terrible. It was. It, it was. it was pretty bad. I have to say, though, it, it was... Kind of funny how the sex bot became attached to him and he couldn't get it removed from his groin. Yeah. yeah. Like he's basically, his erect <laughs> penis is stuck in the sex bot and he can't, so he's taking, he's dismantling it piece by piece and he like still can't get the torso trap. off. Yeah. It was a Chinese figure trap. And, yeah. she was like, and she was like, I can suck a bowling ball through a, a garden hose and he's like all turned on by that. By that, I'm like, that's horrifying. <laughs> Stay away from me. Well, that's why. He, yeah, that's why he was stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I assume. Am might. I am I wrong? I've heard that uh, young boys sometimes have this fear of this whole being like stuck and not being able to when you know before they really understand how sex works. Is is that what this is playing into? Any ideas? I guys? I don't think so. I don't think so. I've never heard that. That's a concern that young boys have. <laughs> That may just be a urban legend. But he is he is attached to her. He cannot he cannot get the torso off his penis, so he puts a robe on when his uh fiance comes in. Uh and, and says that his this like a uh, growth is some sort of disease and she accepts that as truth because she's a moron. Um yeah. then I the finale is that she finally figures out how to get the chastity belt off, and upon seeing her vagina, he is like his penis goes flaccid, and that's what—that's finally when the bot falls off. I guess oh, is that right? Be. Seeing her vagina that's caused him to lose his erection, and then that's when the sex bot falls off. Is that what happened? It didn't fall off. I though. think so. Stuck. It was still stuck even when the father was there. It was on top of him. Oh, I thought it fell off because he lost his erection by seeing her vagina finally. <laughs> no, I think he just stopped holding the torso and it kind of like... I, th- I thought he got distracted by her vagina. So yeah. he was like... Although oh. I didn't see it either way. I don't know. It was just insane. He's thrashing ar- around trying to get the sex bot to detach. It was... 
Who wrote this? Why? Why? Yeah. (laughs) It's bizarre. At least this felt like it was for the audience. You know, the 13-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More so than the first one. Like, they would have enjoyed this. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they loved it. The effects were good, you know, for the time. Yeah. Because the head was detached and it was on the floor biting his toes while he ate soup. That was very Evil Dead 2. <laughs> mm. The actress who played the sex bot, her name is Heather Elizabeth Parkhurst. Probably not surprise you that she had uh, multiple breast enlargement surgeries. Mm. So that she could get roles in Hollywood. She said her main competition was Pamela Anderson. But she also had plastic surgery all over you see her now but one of her uh procedures was called a bolster lift in which two screws were put in her chest the procedure caused a life-threatening infection which caused her breasts to basically shrivel into nothing (gasps) yeah so she goes on a on an e-reality series called botched and she asks the plastic surgeons to fix her zombie boobs quote my whole career has been based around my breasts and when that was taken away from me my career was taken away from me. Man. So, yeah, and, and there are photos of her breasts, basically. They they look like balloons that deflate. Oh. Yeah. So, hopefully, I mean, hopefully they were able to uh, restore them. The to- <laughs> restore them to their <laughs> previous glory? No, no she, said, she said, I don't need the largest breasts at this point. I just need something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's uh, plenty of plastic like- surgery for that. And they're like, yeah, we can get, like, cadaver skin and stuff. And, uh, uh, and she's like, you know, <laughs> this is, I don't, I'm going to paraphrase here. But she's like, they're talking about getting, like, skin from a serial killer. Not, I mean, not really, but maybe. This is one of those things you got to think about. Do you? I don't know. Oh. I'll, uh, I'll have to post the video in the Facebook group. Hmm. I'm not, I'm not making light of her situation. It's horrific. Yeah, but it, it sounds does. Awful. It does teach you a very valuable lesson. Like, don't have surgeries that you do not need. There's yeah. a, always a risk, and she paid hefty price. Yeah, yeah. So it felt really, really bad for her. Um, and then the end of this one, Kevin Pollock uh, has his lower half removed. Guess because <laughs> it's attached, right? It's mu- it must be still <laughs> attached to the sex bot, so they just have his torso removed or his his <laughs> lower his lower half removed. That was another unnecessary surgery right there, but... <laughs> yeah. He should be dead. And Yeah, I never thought that they just couldn't get that thing removed, so they took his whole legs. Yeah. Well, I think the the implication was that if he still had a penis, he would have this, like, lust. Yeah, they so could have just taken his penis and kept his legs. They could have chemically castrated him. Instead, yeah. they just kept his upper half and attached it to a spaceship so he could still be a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> And then Chrome says, don't you just hate it when a man goes off half-cocked? Don't you just hate it when a man goes off half-cocked? I told Emmy love was a funny thing, but that's her. She needs to get a grip, lover. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) So Perversions of Science, it was nominated for a Cable Ace Award in 1997. Mm. Is that like a Razzie? (laughs) (laughs) The Cable Ace Award was created by the National Cable Television Association to serve as a cable television counterpart to the primetime Emmys, which before their 40th ceremony in 1988 did not recognize cable programming. But by 1997, the Emmys had long included cable programming, making the Cable Ace redundant. So 1997 was the last 
time they had a, a ceremony. And this was uh, this was nominated in 1997, so this was the finale of the Cable Ace Award. Also nominated that year, so the good. dramatic series uh, Disney's Avalon Avalon Lee. Avalon Lee? Avonlea. Anne of Avonlea? 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 Is this Avonlea? Avonlea, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like the same author as like Anne of Green Gables. Was it Anne of Green Gables? I like later? So. I think so. I think it was like Anne as a grown-up. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Never heard of that. Showtime's Dead Man's Gun, which was an anthology series. Showtime's Stargate SG-1 and HBO's Oz. The winner was Oz, which we'll be watching next time. So, yeah, oh. you'll be watching the final dramatic uh, series to uh, win the Cable Ace Award. How about that? That's something. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I looked and looked for reviews of this show. Could not find any. It's like it never existed. So who else's career did it kill? The Ace Awards. Yeah, yeah it okay. killed the Cable Ace Awards. That's it? Every, like Everybody involved with that. William Shatner still gets work, so. Does his daughter mm-hmm. get She's barely been in anything. <laughs> there you go, it killed her career. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, that, it's that horrible laugh she has. <laughs> well, she had a terrible scream also. When she saw the sex bot, uh, yeah. or Kevin Pollock's penis, either way, she screamed, and her scream was just dread- dreadful scream. Mm. Um, since we don't have any reviews, we do have Harold's thoughts. Carol, why don't you read this one for us? Okay, just one second. I'm just, here we, I'm just trying to get it to come up here. Yep, here we go. As to perversions of science, the nipple start button... They almost lost me right there. If not for my obsessive need to watch and critique pirated decades-old HBO shows for your podcast. Right there with you, Harold. There is something about dream sequences that I have always loved. So I was definitely willing to give Dream of Doom a chance. But it just felt formless. It needed a framing device to give us a baseline to compare the dream to. Even without a frame, mm-hmm. the progression of the dreams needed to develop in some sort of logical manner. But they didn't. It felt like the sequences could have been shuffled around and it would have made, wouldn't have made much of a difference. I don't know if I am the right person to judge the sex bot episode. It feels like it was made for 14-year-olds, and I've not been, a four- been 14 for a long time. But I will say that at least Kevin Pollock did a pretty good job with the material. And they got a mild chuckle from me each time he kicked the bot's head and sent it flying across the room. Hopefully, there will be something better next time around. Amen, Harold. There, there will be. I think we've we've been to the the bottom of the barrel at this point. We only have one direction to go. That's up. Yay! I mean, I know that HBO did some really good series, so I'm I'm looking forward to them. Yep. Next time. Ah! So let's rate this. Um, Carol, you can go first. You're only rating the, the first one. But what did you think of Perversions of Science on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, well, the actors were good. Um, so that's a point. Um, but I just, I didn't feel like they were really even trying. And they just the whole, the whole thing that made me feel like, you know, this show has decided that females are not worth even bothering with just annoyed me so i'm gonna go with one out of ten um (sighs) sex bots that were supposed to remind us of elvira in armor mel i thought it was at least 
slightly more entertaining maybe than hotel room but yeah it's still it's not great not for me um i don't know i don't want to give it a two because i feel like maybe it's more of a three (laughs) 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 Uh, three out of ten old faithfuls (laughs) old faithful what Mm, kevin pollock's (laughs) (laughs) matt yeah um this definitely would have been something that all my friends in seventh grade would have stayed up to watch uh <laughs> and uh i'm not that age anymore so it had nothing for me um and uh the dream one was just yeah just just felt like a visual version of the rambling from the the hotel room episodes <laughs> oh yeah that's a good point. yeah it just didn't go as harold said like formless that. Yeah, and um, I'll give it a three point five. No, three out of ten shows on Booby Vision. Yeah, I also did not like this very much. It was marginally more entertaining than Hotel Room. The Sexbot one was the most entertaining, only because I could not believe how audacious it was. It wasn't good, but at least it it had a point of view and I and a coherent plot. That counted for a lot after watching three episodes of Hotel Room mm. and the first episode of Perversions of Science, which was that dream episode that has, just didn't make any sense. Uh, at least I could follow this one. And yeah. I thought it was funny when she vomited the spring up onto his face. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I will give it three out of ten. Uh, three out of ten sex bots stuck on the groin, on the old groin. Mm. Which brings our average to 2.5. I wonder so, if anything can beat this coming for, going forward. <laughs> these two these two things get a worse rating. I wonder. I, I kind of doubt it. I really doubt it. Uh, I did post our uh, our averages for the previous six uh, things that we've watched now. Hmm. Philip Marlowe through Perversions. As you can see, of the six, Philip Marlowe was our favorite at a 6.75 oh. average. Yeah, I would that makes sense. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I would rather watch Philip Marlowe than any of these. Yep. I still like Tales from the Crypt. I think it's competent, more competent than this. Yeah, yeah maybe it was just those episodes we watched because I've seen lots of good episodes of that. Or I remember them being good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I saw William Shatner's name and I was like, "Oh, he's in it, and he directed it. That should be fun." And was he? Was he? He in was it? barely. Yeah. Barely. Next time, we will be watching 1997's Cable Ace Award-winning series, Oz. Oh, and you don't even like prison shows. Nope. No. Yeah, you're not going to like this then. Damn it. This has a lot of good actors in it, though. A lot of guys who've gone on to do good stuff. I've seen the entire series. I don't much care for it. But it was one of those where I felt like I had to keep watching it. Our, um, what kind of tone are we looking at at this one? Very serious. Very serious. Okay. Mean, nihilistic, almost. Mm, okay. You are in a prison. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's yeah. Okay. They heap a lot of abuse onto the characters over the seven seasons. Oh, I'm so glad we're not watching seven seasons of it. Oh uh, no, I could not. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things that you know I can watch a couple episodes of of some things that you know are are really well done but really hard to watch, but. There comes a point when I'm like, no, I can't, 
continue on with this. I guess there's six seasons, but season four, looking at the episode list, is double length. Most of them are eight. Season four was 16. So okay. there's 56 episodes in total. Just It seems like it's a very mean show. There's very little levity to it. Mm. And then the other program we'll be watching is the first installment of the miniseries From the Earth to the Moon. Oh, okay. Yeah. That'll is be it- pleasant. I think that'll be pleasant and competent. It sounds, okay. it sounds interesting. Is it just from the title? I mean, is it reality? Is it you know documentary or is it drama type thing? It's a drama, twelve part drama. Let me see here. It's a dramatized portrayal of the Apollo manned space program. Ooh ah, <laughs> I <laughs> like that subject. Yep, the first episode is called "Can We Do This." The United States launches an aggressive plan to beat the Soviets to the moon. Okay. And I'm it in. stars, let's see here. Oh, Brian Cranston, oh. Tim Daly, Ooh. Carrie Elwes. I don't know her. You know him. The guy from oh, uh, Princess Bride. Oh, 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 okay, yeah. Tony Goldwyn, Chris Isaac. A lot of dudes. Very well, few yeah. ladies in this. Yeah, unfortunately, there were women involved, but they did not advertise them at all. So. Yeah. They kept them. Hidden. So, yep. It's about NASA. It's about going into space. Cool. So. Could be good. Exciting. I don't know if it's exciting, but it's definitely going to be better than what we just watched. Oh, okay. And and I'm watching those and I'm thinking, my my co-hosts are going to hate me that I'm making them watch this dreadful television show. (laughs) Well, at least we can say we did it. We did it. We're done. Yeah. On to bigger and better things. Yeah, I mean, the NASA thing could be exciting uh, if they do it right, because mm-hmm. it, it had a lot of exciting stuff going on, but it could also be, you know, like anything else, everything is in the execution. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of the precursor to Band of Brothers and The Pacific, because it's one of these uh, prestigious miniseries directed by Tom Hanks. All right. Yeah, I think yeah. I remember hearing about it. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. Cool. All right. Well, that is next time. Okay. As always, you can find us at hooplecast.com. You can go onto Facebook and search for Hooplecast. Join the discussion group. It's where I post links to the episodes, the stuff that we're talking about. You can watch them too and send in feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com. Go onto Twitter at hooplecast. Go into iTunes. Leave a five star review. Hey, someone left us a five star review. Hooray. Nice. Thanks. Thank you. This person writes Hooplerific. If you're not on the bandwagon, you're standing in the dirt. Stop standing in the dirt and get on the bandwagon. XOXO, <laughs> five stars from Jonathan Pernasek. <laughs> John's never listened to a single episode of this podcast, and he never will. But he's an internet friend, acquaintance, so he left, left us a good review because I left a five-star review for his podcast, How Rude, which is a podcast about Full House. Sort oh. of. Not really. Oh. It's, a, it's a comedy podcast, and it's very raunchy. It's only loosely about Full House. But I recommend it. I look forward to it every Monday. Nice. Yep. Okay. That's it. Um. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Fuck you. Fuck y'all. Yeah. Fuck, fuck you, David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Especially you, David Lynch. <laughs> you gentlemen can watch while I'm scrubbing the floor, and I'm scrubbing the floor while you're gawking. Maybe once you tipped me and it made you feel swell In a ratty waterfront in this ratty old hotel But you never know to who you're talking You never know to who you're talking 
Suddenly one night, there's a scream in the night, and you yell, what the hell could that have been? And you see me kind of grinning while I'm scrubbing, and you say, what she got to grin? And the ship, a black freighter, with a skull on its masthead, will be coming in. Then you gentlemen can say, hey girl, finish the floors, get upstairs, make the beds, earn your keep here. You toss me your tips and look out at the ships, but I'm counting your heads while I make up the beds, cause there's nobody gonna sleep here. Tonight, none of you will sleep here. Then that night, there's a bang in the night, and you yell, who's that, kicking up a row? And you see me kind of staring out the window And you say, what she got to stare at now? And the ship, the black freighter Turns around in the harbor Shooting guns from the bow Then you gentlemen can wipe off the laugh from your face Every building in town is a flat one Your whole stinking place will be down to the ground Only this cheap hotel standing up safe and sound And you ask, why do they spare that one? And you ask, why do they spare that one? All night through with the noise and to-do You wonder who's the person lives up there Then you see me stepping out in the morning Looking nice with a ribbon in my hair And the ship, the black freighter Runs the flag up its masthead And a cheer rings the air By noontime the dock is all swarming with men Coming off of that ghostly freighter And they're moving in the shadows where no one can see And they're chaining up people and bringing them to me Asking me, kill them now or later? Asking me, kill them now or later? Noon by the clock and so still on the dock You can hear the foghorn miles away In that quiet of death I'll say, right now And they'll pile up the bodies And I'll say, that'll learn you And the ship, the black Disappears out to sea And on it 